Hello, hello, hello. Welcome everybody to episode 92 of the No Normal Show for Thursday, February 11th, brought to you by Revive Health. This is our weekly deep dive into how hospital and health system marketers can navigate what we call the No Normal. I'm Chris Bevelo, health systems practice lead at Revive Health and your host for the show. I'm joined by Chase Kleckner, who is senior marketing manager at Revive Health and our show's producer. Hello, Chase. Hey, Chris. Good to see you as always. Good to see you too. We are also thrilled to be joined by Judith Ward, who is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Bay State Health, the premier health system in Western Massachusetts. Previously, Judith led strategic marketing across Stanford Healthcare in Palo Alto, California, as the Administrative Director of Marketing Strategy. Prior to Stanford, Judith was Vice President of Planning and Marketing for Western Connecticut Health Network in Fairfield County, Connecticut. Judith holds an MBA from the University of Connecticut and is always searching for an innovative marketing solutions with proven ROI rewards. Love that last part. Hello, Judith. Hello, everybody. So glad to have you. We're looking forward to diving in. Judith, we wanted to talk about the challenge folks like you uh, and any of us really that are in this no normal, this, this period of ongoing uncertainty, the challenge we have with focusing on what we have to do today which continues to kind of clip along at an unprecedented level, uh, but also thinking about the future, because for folks like you and, and others in your shoes, your job is to also be planning for um, what do we need to do to be successful as we move out of COVID-19 uh, and beyond that as well. So that's what we're here to, to kind of dig in with you. And let's just start, a little, let's just kind of start with the today part of that. Uh, and even be a little more specific about COVID-19 and some of the things that you've been doing successfully recently uh, around messaging around COVID-19. So let's just, we'll start there. Sure. Well, you know, I'll even go back to the beginning. We realized pretty early on, as I'm sure everybody um, who has my job, <laughs> uh, that we had to somehow get our arms around the media um, because that was just a daily onslaught of questions, and um, some of them we couldn't answer because we had no idea. And so we had to find our way to deal with that um, so that we could deal with like the other things that we have to do on a daily basis. So very early on, before we even had a COVID patient in our hospital, we had a, a press briefing. Um, with some of the larger publications in our area. And, and really what, what we did with that is to join hands and let them know that we were going to partner with them on giving um, transparent, real information as quickly as we could through them um, so that during this public health crisis, we weren't creating more of a stir in a market, um, but really trying to help our constituents get through this. So that that was our um, our charge from the very beginning, and I think that our media partners really appreciated that. And what happened was we were able to, you know, really kind of contain um, some of the scurry that was going on. Because if we all kind of go back to that time, there was it wasn't just around COVID that there were many questions and you know fifty different answers to the same question. Um, it was everything that was just kind of uh, the culture that was out there. So we did that very early on. Um, we built a lot of trust and transparency. We put 
our CEO out there. We put our incident commander who um, both are infectious disease doctors. So we've been really mm-hmm. fortunate at uh, Bay State because several of our high-level executives are infectious disease experts and have gone through, you know, anthrax and all sorts of things. So, and uh, um, AIDS, our CEO was um, with HIV and AIDS. So, so they've done this before, they've seen this before. And it, it, the structure that we took on was very uh, intentional. Um, So that's what we did in the very beginning. And um, so, so we were able to kind of control a little bit of the message. So we were out there proactively um, telling the media, you know, what we knew, things were changing. They still are like daily, but um, we were, you know, informing as those changes came. And when we had big news, what we did was we um, set up a structure for media briefings on Zoom, of course, because everything went virtual. And, um, what we did was we invited all of the press. We sent out an invitation. We collected RSVPs. Uh, we we um, took note of how the RSVPs came in, and we let the uh, the press know that we were gonna. Uh, you could ask questions in the order from which your RSVP came in, and you could ask one question. And then when we got through the list of attendees. We went back to the beginning and we did it again until they were done asking all their questions. And honestly, this was like the best thing that we did because, you know, the media, they all have the same questions. Right. So we didn't have to answer 25 phone calls with the same question because they all heard the question and the answer at the same time. And they could ask a follow-up question if they wanted to. Um, they all got the information at the same time. It was consistent. And, um, and so we were, we were able to kind of control the fray with that setup. So, you know, for the hour amount of time that we had setting, you know, going through those, we probably saved, you know, 15 hours in phone calls. So we, we're going to, that's something we're going to continue to model going forward. Uh, because it just it just really has kind of helped to um, control the message and to cut down on the back and forth uh, with media calls. So I imagine that um, super helpful in the beginning because, you know, a year ago, we're almost up to a year when this really blew up, right? I think middle of March is where it started to become real at a national level uh, in an intense way. It was just chaos. It was just chaos. And, um, you know, you'd like to think that we would have moved past that and we did, but I think, you know, talk a little bit about how that served you now, because we're in a different kind of chaos. Now we're the vaccine chaos, which is, uh, you know, equally challenging, I think in, in some ways. Yeah. So now we're in the, into the vaccine unknown. First we were in COVID unknown. Now we're in vaccine unknown and which is, um, you know, actually kind of a little bit harder, I would say, because, mm-hmm. you know, the vaccines are being rolled out differently in every state. You know, at least when we had the COVID onslaught, it was kind of like it was the same enemy. It was just arriving at different times. And then, you know, now that we have the vaccines, it's just, you know, we have 
we have people who are watching the national news and um, Massachusetts is very conservative and there are other states that are further ahead and, and people don't necessarily understand why that is. Um, so, you know, it, so what we set up in the trust and transparency with the press that we did in the beginning has served us well with this because now we actually have partners who can help us get the message out. Because the challenge is that um, for us being in a conservative state and, and having other states, uh, we're on the border of Connecticut and Connecticut is actually further ahead. You know, people don't, again, don't understand. Um, it helps, uh, you know, we're in a position where it, it makes us look kind of bad. You know, is it base state health <laughs> that is holding back vaccines? Like, you know, what, what, why aren't you guys giving out vaccines like, you know, the folks over across the border? Um, so the, so having those media partners help us to get the real message out there about, you know, how it's different uh, where we live and how it's going to work. Um, you know, the, the state now has, um, they have their own COVID vaccine page. They have their own way to navigate to, to get an appointment. Um, we had actually set up our own way for our employees and then for first responders and um, going into those individuals who are 75 plus. But, you know, every health system has a different way. So right. we really need those, those um, our media partners to get out there because that, that's what people believe. You know, um, people yeah. believe PR better than they believe an ad in the paper, per se. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's just, we talked a little bit about this before the show. Um, it's just such an unfortunate situation because, you know, just the idea of, just the idea of vaccines alone is difficult. Vaccines developed the way they had to be for this is difficult. The importance of all this is difficult. And the idea that we are, you know, we have set this up so every state is basically approaching it. I mean, they're trying to follow guidelines that were set nationally, but they're doing it, to your point, at different paces. Um, the fact that you're on a border right, of a state makes it more difficult for you than, than other situations for other hospitals and health systems. I mentioned to you that we have an employee whose mom is right on the border of two states and her clinic's across the state, but because she lives in one, it, just to introduce that level unnecessarily, honestly, of confusion, um, just is so unfortunate. You know, we, we joked about, uh, and we said this before on the show, this is like the United States is at war with somebody and we're asking each state, like they have their own militias, like back in the revolutionary days, it's like, Hey, come up with your own muskets and your own ammo. Um, and, and then do your best. And Connecticut may be doing really well and Massachusetts may be doing different and you're on a village in the middle. Like it's, it's kind of nuts. And I don't know that it's really going to change dramatically, uh, even though there's, talk of it changing uh, quick enough for it to have an impact the way we'd want. Yeah. I, you know, um, and, and just to layer on to that, Chris, you know, just to think about, 
Um, it's not only the difference between the, what, how different states are handling this, but then you throw in all these different vaccines. So like first we had Pfizer and that was like easy. Okay. <laughs> we have one vaccine and then you threw in Moderna and then it was, you know, we were, we were still on like healthcare workers and first mm-hmm. responders, but you know, the conversation started, well, which one should I get? Should I choose Pfizer or should I choose Moderna? And now we have J&J coming down the pike, um, which is really going to throw some questions into the mix here because there's going to be a lot of people who say, well, I'm going to wait for Pfizer and Moderna um, because their percent effectiveness is much higher than Johnson & Johnson. Um, But then there are people who will say, well, that, you know, I'll do Johnson Johnson, because I only have to get one shot and I can go to, you know, multiple places. So it's just going to add in this whole other level of kind of consumer choice that people are used to and they want to be able to choose, but, but will they be able to? And, and then you have the whole level of people who are avoiding the vaccine altogether and the messaging that goes along with that. Yeah. It's very complicated. It's complicated. It's only going to get more complicated as these variants start to emerge and the pharmaceutical companies have to come up with boosters to deal with the, the variants. Um, it, you know, in my state, in Minnesota, we have a pretty well-known epidemiologist. Um, I think that's the right phrase to give yes. him. Um, Michael Osterhaus, I think is his name, from the University of Minnesota. So he's on national news networks and, and you hear from him a lot. Um, and he's come out and said, forget about the second shot. We need to forget about the second shot. We need to give those second shots to more people because we got to get out ahead of the variants. Now, he's saying that, but not our governor. The governor is not saying that. So you've got two well-respected people just in our state, right? So it's not even between states. It's within states that you're hearing this difference. Yeah. And the way that we've handled that um, is really... Uh, we, you know, we are very adamant about the fact that we're following the state of Massachusetts and the Department of um, of Health and um, and the CDC guidelines. So we've done that very much from the beginning, where we haven't really kind of put out our own. You know, everybody has their own kind of thoughts on some of these, even from the beginning with like how it was spread, and you know, um, so. We've really just, we made a decision early on that we were really just gonna um, follow the state guidelines and the CDC guidelines, and we were gonna um, stick to that. So, you know, if you go to our website, to our vaccine page, there's a lot that changes like locations of testing. And, um, you know, we have frontline story. We have a lot of content on there, but when we get to kind of the, the clinical call outs, we just, we refer, right back to the Department of Public Health because we we didn't want to get into those kind of discussions. Um, because again, you know, uh, you may think something today, but tomorrow it'll be proved wrong. So <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a, a tough place to be. So that's kind of how we intentionally handled it. Yeah, so let's talk about tomorrow, right? So we wanted to kind of talk about one foot in the present, trying to get one foot in the future. Um, and I think like the way to set up this part of the conversation, Judith, is we're very honest about, you know, up until maybe the turn of the year. So the beginning of the year for us, we saw the spring being uh, kind of the light at the end of the tunnel where we've got the vaccines. 
Um, you know, going into warmer weather may or may not affect the, the disease itself, but people can get out more. Uh, you know, we just saw that as like, okay, that's the beginning of the end. Um, then the variants started hitting and we started getting these dual kind of, uh, yeah, we're doing good now, but it could get even worse depending on how these variants hit, right? Um, one of which is five times more likely to spread. It's not necessarily more lethal, but just being five times more likely to spread could overwhelm our health system um, as an example. So now we're wondering, well, can we even be thinking about tomorrow as the beginning of post-COVID in the summer or the fall? Uh, there was an article we talked about a couple episodes ago from Axios where some of the folks were saying, look, 20, 2022 at the earliest. Um, so how do you, as a healthcare marketing leader, knowing that tomorrow is a very squishy concept, uh, try to plan for, for how you're going to come out of this or what's next. How are you thinking about that? Yeah. So we're kind of in an interesting position with that. And um, so right before, well, not right before, probably a year before COVID hit, we had come out with a brand new branding campaign um, where we had, you know, done all the research and all, all the, the right things. We had it um, a wonderful production and it was based around patient stories and, um, you know, really focused on us being a trauma center and some of the cool surgeries we do and all of that. And uh, as soon as, you know, kind of COVID hit, we pulled it. And, um, and then we went into you know, the same thing everybody else did, stay away from the hospital. And then it was like, no, don't stay away. If you're going to have a heart attack, you need to come to the emergency room. And, um, and then we had keeping, you know, we're keeping you safe. These are the things we're doing to keep us all safe. And, um, and then, you know, once we kind of got into the spring of last year and the summer when, you know, our numbers started to go down because everybody was outside and, and things of that sort. Um, as part of the incident command group, um, we set up um, kind of this post uh, post COVID planning groups um, where we kind of went through the service lines to figure out, OK, um, you know, if if we need to get people back into the system, like what, you know, what are we going to do? So we had, um, we had several months of planning around um, those efforts where we did a lot of kind of, um, some of it was very transactional uh, marketing to get people into like primary, get back to primary care and use urgent care if you need it. Um, we did a, a push with our, um, heart vascular services because we were finding a lot of people had put off this crucial care. And, um, and honestly, what we, what we experienced during that time was that there were so many people who had put off that critical care that they kind of like our emergency room volumes started going up. And then the percent of people who ended up in an inpatient bed from the emergency room went up because it was like this backlog of people. Um, we also had a campaign where we called all the primary care patients who um, had had their appointments um, canceled just to keep the dialogue. How are you doing? Um, we used the time to actually um, fill in any of those uh, clinical record um, items that were missing. Um, so that kind of kept the conversation warm um, and kept us top of mind. Uh, now we're finding that 
our numbers are knock on wood um, starting to go down now as people are getting more more people are getting vaccinated and of course there's a lot of people who are immune because they had they actually had COVID nineteen um, so our numbers are going down a little bit and now we're getting into more of the okay now we really need to get into this strategy and my challenge has been that I want to. At some point, I know I need to flip back into that branding um, schemata that we had in the beginning, which was working really, really well. But how do you do that when you can't have a TV production company come into the hospital and you can't go into people's homes and um, and you have, you know, we we need to have the masks so that we can our reality is different now. So. So we're currently working through how we can do that in kind of a clever virtual way, because there's going to be this period where we have to produce it while we're still in this and let it fly, hopefully, when we're almost out of it. And then we can probably go to a next generation. So that's kind of the way that I'm thinking of it. In the meantime, uh, what we're doing is meeting with the service line chiefs and chairs to revisit strategy um, because we're, we're in the middle of a five-year stra uh, strategic, strategic planning process. So I want to know, you know, what is it in heart and vascular? What are you focused on? What are, your, what are your goals? What are the procedures you're focused on so that we can develop marketing campaigns that are um, really targeted at those very specific goals? And then we're going to have to figure it out from there. I mean, I think one thing we've all learned from this is that, you know, we can, every time I plan for next week, it's like, no, 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 right. <laughs> that's not going to happen. We got to go back and do something else. But at least we're starting those conversations back up. And those are conversations, you know, we, we used to have pre-COVID, you know, on a quarterly basis, but we're starting to have those again and um, really figuring out how to put these um, puzzle pieces together. And in the meantime, before we can get to kind of the, um, you know, the sexy TV, radio, digital campaigns, um, we're really taking kind of a workhorse kind of a, a strategy um, to this where, um, you know, we're taking those things that need volumes now and we're figuring out how to get the, the message out, whether it be through our physician referral channels. Uh, we've done a lot of, we've used a lot of the, the, the time for um, people who haven't been like on the, the COVID vaccine line doing, you know, catch up on SEO and, you know, how is, how is our landing page strategy? And, you know, what are we doing with our physician profile? So we've done a lot of um, foundational work in the meantime, so that when we're ready to roll, um, we're going to be much more ready than we were the first time. Yeah. So that that's how we've been tackling it. Yeah. I, it, it, you know, I think we should all like right now place our bet on what will come next week. I love what you said there. Like I'm going to put my bet down on the, the Portuguese variant. I think next week we're going to hear about a Portuguese <laughs> variant that's going to disrupt all of the plans that you they're making, Judith. What you know, one thing that I think it we do have to think about this a little. It's very nuanced. It always has been in what we do in terms of how we go after patients and patient acquisition and service line marketing. Um, the approaches we take are different than brand building, 
we want them related, we want them aligned. Um, but when I think about what we have to do with the service line marketing and the, and the patient acquisition, that just has to continue to go, unless God forbid we're in a situation where we have to shut things back down again, right? It's the brand work that it feels like the, the kind of, you know, put your finger in the air and test the wind test is, is, is it gonna, when is it gonna be weird to, to have that talk about COVID, right? Because right now it would be weird if you didn't address COVID in your right. overall messages. And I think what, what's really interesting is to, if you saw that, if you looked at the Super Bowl, like a lot of people watch the Super Bowl for the commercials as much as the, as much as the game. And so here we have a week ago, one place where you've got all of these commercials from all these different places. And you had a mix. You had some that I mean, you had no idea if there was a pandemic going on from the ad and others that were focused on it, right? And I'm not sure it was, um, I don't know that I felt uncomfortable or that it was weird seeing commercials that didn't address the pandemic. In some cases, right, if it's Tic Tac, good. Like, I don't want Tic Tac to talk to me about a pandemic. Um, it's not appropriate. But, but there's certainly worse situations where it's like, well, that's weird. Nobody has a mask on. Um, and I think for us in our world, it's a different story. We are at the heart of this pandemic. Uh, we're not Tic Tac, we're not Coca-Cola, we're not somebody else uh, who could potentially talk about their brand in a way that isn't alluding or even referencing the pandemic in some way yeah. uh, and maybe get away with it. That's gonna be really hard for us to do anytime soon, I would think. Yeah, and I, I think some of us may have um, and we're we're actually going to be doing some market research around this, but the way we tackled it in the beginning was, you know, setting our execs up and our physicians up as um, the subject matter experts. And you know, it was kind of like we 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 wanted our CEO to be like the the Fauci of Western Massachusetts, right? So, um, so we started with that trust and transparency and we put that out there and I think we made huge, um, progress. Um, you know, we had the media, you know, every month they would have the CEO on. And so it was really great, but now we're in this vaccine world where I can see some of that slipping away because, you know, we have people calling us for, well, why can't I get in for a vaccine? Well, you know what, we're only, only getting 2000 a week. We can't, you know, there's only so many we could do. So it, you know, so, so some of our brand moving forward is going to be um, a repair, you know, we're going to have to repair some of that, those relationships that, that we, you know, we had so much in the beginning and now, now, you know, I don't know where we're going to fall, but there, there's going to have to be something around, um, you know, how, how do we sort this all out so that we can end up, you know, in the, the position that we were before this all started? And, you know, I couldn't have predicted that two weeks right. ago or three That's weeks right. ago. You know, I was like, oh, my God, we're so great, you know, and everybody's calling us and we're, you know, and now everybody's calling us, but we're not making them happy. <laughs> so That's right. So that's going to be the challenge, I think, for us. Yeah, for sure. And we've talked about this on this show um, you know, I don't know how many hospitals were there, like 2000 hospitals or health systems in the country. Um, there's a lot, right. And, and they're all approaching it differently, but about on a weekly basis. Now we are still seeing 
the, oh no, they stepped in it story for a hospital that, you know, sent out a special VIP vaccine invitation to their top donors. Uh, we just saw one last week. I can't remember what it was. And each time it's like a new variant of it. So it's like a new variant of this, of this, you know, terrible disease of hospitals not handling it right. And it's still probably less than a dozen total, but it starts to add up. It starts to, it starts to, in the public's mind, depending on how, how widespread these stories go, um, the, the, the individual unfortunate situations start to equal hospitals and health systems. And everybody pays the price uh, for some of these that have not been handled well. Uh, and so, you know, that's the other part of it, too, is that for the vast majority of hospitals and health systems that are doing the right thing, they're being held accountable for peers that may not be doing the right thing, for state governments, for the federal government, for things that are out of their control. But to your point, Judith, uh, in the, at the end of the day, brand and reputation is as much about perception as reality. Right. And you've got to figure out a way, because um, you're right, two weeks ago, most of us thought, how are we going to hold all this equity that we've got? And now it's like, oh, man, can we get even back to where we were before the, <laughs> the pandemic? Not for everybody, but there's a danger that it, that it gets worse. So, so, so something that certainly will come before we're able to kind of move beyond COVID brand messages, I think. There's a question for you. Um, I'm going to throw this out to you. So the question is, do you see your patients still delaying clinical care and do all of your marketing messages still stress safety? Uh, we do see people still delaying care, um, for sure. So that is that is a message that we are still putting out there. Um, and really, it's around um, patient stories. Um, and we're doing a lot with, um, with physician outreach, too. Uh, and honestly, I, I think at this point, um, there are so there's we have an older population here in Western Mass. So unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are ending up in the emergency room, like I said before, um, because they did delay their care. So we're trying to tell those stories so that we can um, get that out uh, to the public. We also have a um, a very uh, robust uh, community uh, community mitigation group. So, which is, um, it, which is actually kind of cool because it's not just base eight people. We've, we've, um, collaborated with many community members and we have, you know, we, we meet weekly and it's about inequities and, in, in healthcare and also kind of getting that grassroots messaging out there. Um, and we have, um, we've set up a portal that we can all get into and we dump information in there so people can go out with the same speaking points and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, so we have really been um, pounding the, the streets on that to make sure that everybody's um, kind of getting the care that, that they need. Uh, so we've done a lot of work on that. Um, as far as keeping us all safe, um, we no, we're not really, we have, so um, we did go through this forced another change for us um, where we noticed when we were looking at our keeping us all safe messaging that we had, I don't know how many renditions of patient touch point, like reminder letters and, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, scheduling pre-op 
information. Um, we had so many touch points of patient information and letters, and some of them had been written like 25 years ago mm-hmm. and or had been copied like 150 times. So it was askew on the paper. And so we went through, the, oh, we took the opportunity to go through all that messaging and um, standardize the tone of it. And there is a piece in there about how we are, um, you know, thank you for being our patient. And this is what we're doing to keep our patients safe. Uh, we kept, we kept it um, not so COVID-19 focused because um, that was a really big process to change all that. And as you can well imagine, they all came out from different systems and reprogramming and all of that. But um it did offer us the opportunity to put that in there and to um, kind of uh, update our messaging that was out there. So that was kind of a, a silver nugget. But as far as putting out ads and things like that, um, no, because I think at this point, um, consumers expect you to keep them safe. Yeah, so I think that's we right. Don't hammer on that. Yeah, and I'll just add to the question of delaying um, critical care. You know, obviously there was a a huge concern about that in the summer as people started opening up. Most health systems saw a very rapid refill from the pent up demand. Um, But there's there has been still a level of delay to your point, Judith. Uh, And what we're what we were worried about then, uh, and still are worried about, as much as the delay of critical care that people need now is the delay of more routine care. It's much easier for people to put off uh, because it seems, you know, more innocuous. Like, hey, I can put my physical off. I can put my six-month diabetes check check in off. All those kind of things um, that are up funnel of the critical work. Uh, but but as that continues to be dampened, that's just going to be a drag on that critical care down the road, ongoing, right? Until we get to a place where people feel comfortable. Yeah, why not come in? I, I, there's no harm in um, coming in now for those things that are super simple and seem less acute. Um, that those dominoes are going to be falling like we we need them to fall. So uh, we're still very worried about that uh, from what we see across the country and, and from what we hear from clients. So um, I would just add that to that. Well, Judith, let's let's wrap there. We really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, thank, well, you. thank you for having me. Yes, it's it's always great to have folks uh, who are who are living this every day. Uh, it's easy for Chase and I to, to come on here and say like, "This is what we need to do." Uh, but to hear from the people that are actually you know on the ground dealing with it, I think is super helpful to our audience. So thank you so much for joining. You're welcome, Chase. As always, sir. Yeah, enjoy the conversation. Thank you, thank you to everybody who attended. If you would like us to cover something uh, that you didn't hear about today. Uh, whatever you'd like us to, to cover in the future show, let us know now, put it in the chat channel. Or if you're listening in later, you can email us ideas at nonormal at thinkrevivehealth.com. Uh, don't forget to, re- to visit thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19 for all of our COVID stuff. Uh, you can also access the, the episode that we'll put up later from that link. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're at. Um, at our um, podcast page at the bottom of it, you can see who we've got coming up. Uh, next week, we have Amy Kamau, who is the VP of Marketing at Emory Healthcare in Atlanta. So tune in for that. Thank you for joining today. And as always, 
Good luck out there in the no normal.